Well, today is kind of the culmination of the season, isn't it? How many of you are stressed out? <laughs> I noticed that the ladies are especially the ones who are responding to that. I know what it's been like. You know, I look around and look at all the decorations. Things are really nice. A lot of effort has been put into this. This morning, as I was leaving the home, my wife had three bags of stuff to bring with us here to church. Because she was giving, I noticed everybody was giving out banana nut bread and all kinds of things and Christmas. It's been a hectic season because we seem to have so many things we've got to do around this time. We have a lot of worries about gifting. This morning during Sunday school, Brother Wayne was talking about the greatest gift. And he referred to us how the scripture talks about that. But sometimes we forget that all of this efforts really doesn't really mean that much unless, unless we have the real reason for the season. Right. Let's read the passage that we read so much during this time in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We've been reading verses 1 through 7. In my family, this is a traditional passage we read every Christmas. In fact, there's much more than just these seven verses. But we'll read just these first seven this morning. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea unto the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife being great with child and so it was that while they were there the days were accomplished that she should be delivered she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would now bless the time that we will be spending in your word. Bless our hearts as we consider you, Father, and what you've done in giving us the gift of Jesus Christ and the salvation we have through him. May we never forget that gift. And this time may we celebrate him and what you've given us for prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. The last verse that we read here, chapter 7, has a very short passage that has been used to elaborate and to speculate on a lot of things. It says, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. That's the only passage in Scripture that refers to them that there was no place for them in the end. Now, you might have seen stories, and they might have created uh, even movies and all kinds of things and plays about, well, what happened there? And the, the speculation of how they were refused at the end and all these kind of things. But the actual passage is not really much. All we know was that they weren't received too well in Bethlehem. And he had to be born in a place that was not nice. A stable, 
And his crib, as we saw over here a few moments ago, was a manger. The title of the message this morning is The Stranger in the Manger. Because that's what he was. And in fact, one of the things that I want to bring about is that with all the hectic and all the things that are going on, and I've mentioned before, all the decorations we have, sometimes we get so involved in that is that we forget that it's the gift of Jesus that we're celebrating. Yeah. It's not the gifts we get, it's the gift that we received. A gift that was given over 2,000 years ago that we're enjoying in a way that we can never imagine. Now, during this time, everyone is concerned about giving gifts. And if you receive one, you immediately think, well, I've got to reciprocate. If I get a gift, I've got to give one too. And it's got to be on the same level. And that's what we're stressing about, as I mentioned before. And I see some people even by the reaction to your faces, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And this wish, sometimes we wish we didn't have to go through all this. Yeah. Or maybe you got a gift and you think, I really didn't want that gift. <laughs> How many of you are guilty of re-gifting? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? It's a gift you got, but you really have no use for it in a way. And do you realize that in most of the world, the gift of Jesus Christ is just that. Something they put no value on. In fact, they'd almost re-gift him if they could. You ever thought of that? How we don't really value what we've given? He was a stranger at his birth. No one really wanted to receive him. His parents had made a long journey. They were not really at home, although Bethlehem was where her, he was from in a way, Joseph. That was his family home. Now, I uh, was born in Temple, Texas, about two and a half hours south of here. I have a lot of family that lived there. Well, lived, I say. I only have one brother left. Everyone else has moved around. I don't really have many contacts there. I didn't live there too long, first few years of my life. When I was four years old, my parents moved to Mexico as missionaries. And we went back once in a while, my vision my parents had a home there, but I can say I've never lived in Temple, Texas. I consider that my home from where my family came from, but not really my home. And that's what Joseph and Mary were doing. They're up from a long ways off. It was a three-day journey up at Nazareth. But they had to come here, they were obligated, and they arrived and apparently they had no family there because there was no one to receive them. They were strangers in Bethlehem, even though that was supposedly David's, I'm sorry, Joseph's hometown. So they went to a place to find a place to stay. They couldn't find a place to stay. So they had to stay in that manger, that stable. Here he was being born in a town where he had no other family members other than his mother and father. He was a stranger there. But then in John chapter 1 and verse 11, we find that not only was he a stranger in the town that he was born, but also he was a stranger to his very own people. Remember, Christ was a Jew. There's been a lot of things in the news lately about the Jews, haven't there? We're very concerned about anti-Semitism. 
and what's going on in our nation, not only here but around the world. The things that occurred there in Israel back in October or in everyone's heart. But that's nothing new. It says here in verse 11, he came to his own and his own received him not. Now he was a Jew, but do you realize that the Jews still today do not receive him? They don't accept him as their savior, as their Messiah. In fact, if you talk to a Jew and say that Christ is the Messiah, they'll get terribly offended. Eventually they were responsible for his death. He wasn't received by the... I can kind of understand that. I lived overseas. I was an expat, expatriate, they called them. An expat kid. My children were the same way because I was a missionary also. And one of the things that most of you here in the States do not understand is someone who grows up overseas as a child has a different outlook, has a different global view, sees things differently than the common American youth. And when they come back, they have a hard time because when they're living in another country, they say, well, you're American. You're not one of us in that country. They're foreigners in that country. They come home, supposedly home, and they get here and they say, well, you don't think like us. You don't, well, you don't know about pop culture. Well, you don't know about this great singer that everyone likes. The youth, they're making a big deal about this great singer. You don't even know what they're, you are really dumb because you don't know about our pop culture. Well, that's not really important if you really get down to it. And therefore, they're treated like, well, you're a stranger here. That's the way it was for our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, it talks about while he was on this earth, even though he was among his own people, they still looked at him as a weirdo. As different. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, and Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He did not have a home while he was here on this earth. During his three and a half years of ministry, he didn't have a place that we call his own. Now, I do a lot of traveling as a missionary. Most of you who know me here in the church, you're aware of how I'm gone a lot. About over half the time I'm traveling. But I still have a home to come back to. I still have a place where I can unpack my bags, so to speak. Christ didn't have that at all during his three and a half years of ministry. Nothing is mentioned about him going back to Nazareth to find his home there. Apparently Mary was living in Jerusalem by that time. And Joseph apparently had passed away. He didn't really have a home to go back to. And here he talks about that. He said even the animals have more of a place than I do. He was a stranger during most of his ministry in life. But not only was he a stranger during his life, but he was also a stranger when he had to suffer 
the things that he had to put up with while he was here on this earth. Sometimes, sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes we forget what it was like for the God of this universe, the Holy One, one who had never experimented sin, had not been around sin, had kicked the devil out of heaven because of his sin, who lived in a beautiful, holy place where there was no sin, came down to this earth and was surrounded by sin. Right. In Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah chapter 53, it talks about how people received Jesus when he was here on this earth. And you would think that they would look at him and say, wow, here's a person that's never done anything wrong. Let's admire him. No, what happened is what happens all the time. Whenever we're placed next to someone who is less sinful than we are, a lot of times our reaction is this, hatred because you're showing up my sin. I was watching a commercial here recently about, on TV about whitening for teeth. And they were showing an actor, and she had her smile, and he looked at her teeth, he thought, well, that looks pretty white. And then she took a piece of white paper and put it up next to her teeth, and said, oh, well, it's not as white as I thought it was. Why? Because once you put it up in relationships, you see what's going on. And that's what happens when we put Jesus Christ around us. He's perfect. He's sinless. And instead of us saying, admiring, say, oh, well, we react to it because we are now condemned. And we don't like to be condemned. And that's what happened here in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. On the garden before his crucifixion, that night before his crucifixion, as he prayed, he did it alone. Not even his disciples were willing to stay awake with him. As he sweated the blood and he suffered that grief, that was even before the cross. He was doing it alone because he was rejected by everyone, even his closest confidence, his disciples. Sometimes we will pat ourselves on the back and we'll say, oh, well, I'm a good Christian. I'm very faithful in church. I serve him. I do this and that. And we can give a list of litany of things that we are and how we're such good Christians, but let's be very honest. Sometimes in our own life, our Lord is a stranger 
especially at this time when we're so worried about spending time with family and the meals we eat and the things we're doing, if we're not careful, he becomes someone who's on the back shelf. Someone who said, well, that's secondary. Those other things are nice. I'm not condemning them. But what I want to be very careful is they never should take the place of our Savior. He should be no stranger to us. The agony he suffered there in the garden was like agony also alone, away from everyone else. But it didn't just happen there in the, in the, in the garden. When he finally was crucified, he also had to do it alone. The only disciple that came to the cross was John. The rest of them were too scared to come. They were too scared that they might be associated with him. And if they're associated with him, they'll suffer the same fate. So they ran. Don't tell me that you've never felt embarrassed about your faith. It happens all the time. Let's be honest. And how do you think our Lord feels when we have that attitude? In Matthew chapter 26. And verse 56. It says something very simple. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled then all the disciples forsook him and fled can you imagine the sadness he felt here were the 12 men that he had been with for three and a half years one of them was a devil had already hanged himself one of them did come to the cross. While he was there, he received a blessing that none of the other ten received. He was given the responsibility of caring for Christ's mother, Mary. But the other ten never showed up at the cross. I can imagine years later the anguish they felt. Just like Peter, when he heard the cock crow the three times... Oh, how stupid of me. I sometimes think about how wonderful the privilege was to be a disciple. To sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to those messages that Christ preached. You know, over the years as a preacher, I've heard a lot of great men. Men of God. And the message that they preach. They've molded me. They've, they've impacted me. They've affected the way I preach. But all to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his messages. What a great privilege that would have been. I didn't get that. And these men did. And they still, when the time came, fled. And can you imagine the remorse they felt when later on... They understood the magnitude of what had happened and what the cross was doing and how their salvation was being bought by their Savior. And they could have gone to that cross and looked at his face and all the agony and said, I love you and I thank you for what you're doing. But they didn't get a chance to do that. 
because he was a stranger on the cross. Peter was one of those that had the most difficult time of all because in a way he wanted to be close but he was too scared and during the night of Christ's trial as he followed Jesus to the house of the high priest and they began to accuse him of being one of the disciples, one of the followers says that he began to curse and swear saying I know not the man and it says he wept bitterly when he realized what he had done Yet at the same time, I can say that in my own life, I'm just as guilty as Peter. There have been times when I have been embarrassed to say that I believe in Jesus Christ, to stand up, to make a statement clearly, to witness for my Lord. And be honest, if you know Jesus Christ, you've done the same thing maybe. So we're just as guilty as Peter. There's a wonderful scene there on the... Sea of Galilee, after Christ had resurrected, when Peter was there fishing and he saw it was the Lord, and the Lord came to say, Peter, you love me? He said, yes, I do. Well, you know, the Lord could have said, well, Peter, if you really love me, why'd you do what you did there that night before I was crucified? But no, the Lord didn't do that. He just said, well, then feed my sheep. He restored Peter. He said, okay, you're all right. Our relationship is good again. We've reconciled. And I can say the same thing many times. I've had to reconcile with my Lord too. Because as a sinner, I've had to come to say, I've made you a stranger in my life because of my sin. He was buried alone. You know, normally at that time, in the burial places that they used there at the caves and stuff it was a family burial site and when they buried someone it was not just alone it was with other members of the family we have the tradition here in America that usually a married couple are going to be buried together at the same cemetery is it not we consider that to be a way of honoring them and recognizing their life together Sometimes you'll have a whole group of family buried in the same cemetery. Or if they have a mausoleum or some other type of uh, way of of honoring the dead. But there's always a, a group together in a way. It's sad if you're buried alone. But that's what Christ was. His burial spot, it says no one had ever been buried there. He was the first one. He had no other family members. Apparently Joseph had already died, but he wasn't buried where Joseph was buried. Even in death, he was a stranger. But it didn't just stop there. Three days and three nights after he was buried, that glorious Sunday morning when he began to be discoursed and, 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 sh- and spread about, well, he's not there anymore. The tomb is empty. But even then, many people refuse to accept that. In Luke chapter 24, we find a statement here by two men 
And the place we find them in the Bible is here in Luke chapter 24. There were travelers. They were going from Jerusalem to a little village called Emmaus. And on the way, the resurrected Christ joined them. And they had a quite a long conversation. It lasted all the way to the destination. They even sat down and ate together. But in verse 18 of Luke chapter 24, Cleophas, one of the two men that were in this group, said something to the Lord that's very interesting. Luke 24, 18. And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? Here's the resurrected Lord walking with him, talking with him, and he's accusing him of being a stranger. Because he did not recognize who he was. Later on he did. And then he said, didn't our hearts burn within us when we were talking with him? Sometimes we realize too late that the Lord has been with us. And we never took advantage of that privilege. I would say, though, they took advantage of it. I mean, they would have wanted more maybe, but... They had a wonderful conversation because it not only did they talk to him about what had happened and how the crucifixion occurred and even the stories of the resurrection, but then at the end of it, the Lord gave them a Bible lesson and taught them that, well, this is what was supposed to happen. This is what the prophets of old said that was going to happen. That the Messiah was going to die. He was going to pay for our sins. If we jump ahead to Luke chapter 24 verse 27. It says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, referring to Christ, expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's a powerful verse. Here Christ is teaching these two men. You know, they had the most, one of the greatest privileges on earth. They had the greatest teacher of the Bible sitting there and telling them about himself. And he's using the Bible to teach it. Saying, all these things in the Bible were about me. And when they finally began to understand it, it impacted their lives forever. But let's be in an application in our own situation here. Because it isn't just 2,000 years ago that Christ was a stranger. He's still a stranger today. You've come here this morning to listen to this message. And you might have thought, well, I'm fulfilling an obligation maybe. Or it's expected of me. Or I'm with a friend. Or there can be many reasons. But the real goal that we have for you this morning is that you will not be a stranger with Christ. That this season 
will not be a time of worrying about the gifting, the traditions. We even enjoy the caroling, all the traditions that we have. And the, the, the traditions themselves are not that bad, but if they take the place of Christ, they're not good. If you're spending so much time on those and not spending time on meditating on what Christ did for you, on the greatest gift that we've ever received, that God from heaven sent down the most precious thing that he had, his son, and that he gave his life to save our souls and to pay for our sins, you're wasting the Christmas season. And maybe that's the reason that you become frustrated and stressed. Because you're concentrating on things that are not really that important. Nothing wrong with doing those things. But if they supplant the real reason for the season, then we're wasting our time. We're fooling ourselves. We're not really taking advantage of what a Christmas season should be. I want Christ to be prior, the, the first thing in my life. I want him to be my savior, but also I want to recognize what he is to me. I fail in that many times. I get carried away. I travel around the world as a missionary trying to preach the gospel and sometimes I get so carried away in the mechanics of it that I forget the real reason. I have to take a step back and really realize I'm doing it not because it's my career, not because I live off of it, not because of all the other things I could give, but because I love him. He's my savior and I want to please him. And I want my relationship to grow every day stronger with him. I want to spend more time with him. I want to please him. And I trust that in this Christmas season, you might do the same thing in your own life. How much of a stranger is Christ to you? Sad to say, there's many of us that he's quite a stranger. You might have a lot of different opinions about our president. You might not think great things of him. But let me ask you, what if I gave you the opportunity to later next week, after the holidays, to tell you that we have scheduled an appointment with you in the White House with the president for a 15-minute session. And you can talk to him about anything you want to talk to him about. What would you do? Would you go there and say, oh, well, I'll just talk about whatever comes to mind when I get there. I doubt it. You'd have an agenda, right? You'd be writing some things down. You'd be planning. It's an, it's an important event. Well, he's just the president of this country. We have a God that's even greater than he is. The creator of this universe. And you have access to him through Jesus Christ. What are you doing with him? Are you spending time with him? Are you, do you think about what you're going to talk to him about? Because he's worth it. 
He's much greater than a president or any other person we admire. If it's not the president, maybe it's some other person that you think is great, whether it be a pop star or an athletic hero or anyone else. If you had the time to, these people that you admire so much to spend time with them, yeah, you'd, you'd be a great thing. But you know what? You have the chance of sitting at the feet and being with someone who's a great, much greater than them, and you can do it even today this very moment that sit at the feet of Jesus and become friends with him he does not want to be a stranger to you if he is a stranger it's not his fault it's your fault in Luke chapter 15 we find the story of the prodigal son the prodigal son left his father and went a long ways off the father the, the father I am sure made every attempt he could to find that son. I think it's obvious that he was worried about him because it says that when the son was returning, his father saw him afar off and ran to meet him. That means that he was looking for him. I'm sure the father made every attempt he could to find out what had happened to his son. It says there that he went off into a far country. You've heard about our situation here in America right now with all the immigrants and all this going on. When I go to these other countries, I'm facing that quite a bit. I was in Honduras about 20 years ago. And while I was there, I was in a, preaching in a church service. And an elderly lady came to me and she says, I'm very concerned. I want you to pray with me. She says, I've got a problem. I says, well, what is it? She says, my son left Honduras to go to the United States illegally. And he went about five years ago. He said, for the first two years that he was in the United States, I was getting regular reports. He would call me once in a while. But for the last three years, I haven't heard a word. I don't know what happened to him. I need your help. Would you please help me find him? I said, I'll do what I can. I says, where is he at? Well, the United States. I said, I need a little bit more than that. Well, that's all I've got. You don't have a place, a town, a state, or anything? No, I just know he went to the United States. I said, well, I, I don't think I can help you. I can't find him. <laughs> it's a big country. <laughs> Especially if he's illegal, he doesn't want to be found. <laughs> well, that was the same thing with the prodigal son. The father probably wanted to find him, but he couldn't. He probably even had spent money trying to find him, sending people, find go look for him, and all for naught. You know, our Savior has done the same thing. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be friends with you. He does not want to be a stranger. He wants to be someone that you know, that he desires it so much that he's willing to pay a tremendous price to have that. He gave up his son, his only son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth. And that son was willing to die so that you might have that relationship. The price was high. But not only did he give the son, he gave us the word of God so we can find out about it, so we can know that it's available to us. He's given preachers to preach the message. He's given the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. He's done all he can. It's not his fault that we're strangers. It's our fault. And the only thing we can do is like that prodigal son is to say, Go to the Father. Say, Father, I have sinned against heaven against thee. 
you've never done that, you can do that this morning. Christ can become your friend, a stranger no longer. And then you'll really understand that the reason we make such a big deal about Christ during the Christmas season is to remember the gift that we have, the gift of Jesus Christ. And because of that gift, we have a relationship with God now. We can call him our father. We can treat him in a family way. We can have the privilege of approaching him confidently as his children, not as a slave, not as a servant, not as an aide, not as someone else. Not even the angels have that privilege. The angels are not called the sons of God. We are. But if you don't have that, it's because you've chosen to be that way. And as a Christian, if you haven't been close to him, one of the biggest reasons that we should have Christmas time is to evaluate our relationship with him and take time to say, I want to be closer to you. Spend some time with him. That's what we would do. Would you please stand while we have a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, I pray even this morning that no one would be a stranger to Christ here in this auditorium this morning. That every one of us could say that he's a close friend. Closer than a brother. Someone we can trust. Someone we can go to with our problems. Someone that we can confide in. Father, I do not know the situation of every heart here. And every need. But the Holy Spirit does. And I pray that as the Holy Spirit is dealing in each heart, that they would give the freedom for the Holy Spirit to change them, to impact their lives. They might feel that this is a desire that God has to be their friend. He wants a relationship in such a, his desire is so great that we cannot even imagine it. But we are the ones that push him back. The stiff aren't in him. They tell him, no, I'm not now. Later on, I'm not interested. Oh, Father, how we can disdain the gift that he's given us and how horrible that is. May the Holy Spirit help us to appreciate the gift that he's given. I pray this in Jesus' name. We're going to have a verse of invitation. Brother John's not able to sing, but we're going to have the piano play. And as the piano is playing... If God has been touching your heart, the altar is open. Come on, talk to him about it. God wants you to be a friend and not a stranger. Maybe you need to confess something. Maybe you need to get something right with the Lord. Whatever it is, you need to do it this morning. What's the number that we're going to sing, Brother John? 139. Well, no, 139. And you'll find there in your songbooks, let's sing this song together. It's a beautiful Christmas song. I love it, but it's also a good song of invitation to make friends with the Lord. Born to die, I know the, the author of this song, he was a friend of mine when I was in college, and it really means that when he came to this earth, he knew at the moment that he came that his destiny, destiny was to die on that cross, and he still did it. Let's sing on this very first verse. Christ was born just before break of morn as the stars in the sky were fading or the place where he lay felt a shadow 
song. I really enjoy that beautiful song. I hope you have a wonderful time with your family this Christmas time. I'm going to be going with my daughter to a candlelight service at her church this afternoon. I'm looking forward to that and being with family. I hope you have some other plans also. And also, do not forget to remember Christ during this season. I'm going to ask Brother John to dismiss us in prayer. Hope you have a wonderful time. We'll be back Wednesday night for our regular Wednesday night evening service. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you again today so thankful for your goodness to us, so thankful that you sent your son to come as a baby, to grow up and ultimately die on the cross for our sins, to pay the ultimate price, to pay the, the, the price that was needed for my sin, for our sin. Lord, thank you so much for that. Lord, please be with us the rest of this day. Help us remember you and have a good time of fellowship with friends and family. May your perfect will be done in our lives. We ask you this in Jesus' name.